tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we are speaking with Heidi Williams. Heidi is the director of the Ingham County Animal Control and Shelter in Mason, Michigan. Uh, They are a managed intake shelter that intakes approximately 3,000 animals per year. They have a staff of 30 full-time employees, including uh, six animal control officers, a veterinarian, a veterinary assistant, seven animal care specialists, a behavior and enrichment coordinator, a community outreach manager, and six adoption and intake clerks, and maybe a few extras wrapped in there. And they're very excited because they have started a new free TNR program for Ingham County residents in 2023. And we are thrilled to have Heidi here to share with us about that program. But before we dive right into that, Heidi, welcome to the show. And how'd you get to be passionate about cats? Thanks, Stacey. I'm really happy to be here. So growing up, I never had cats uh, until I was 15. My mom uh, picked up a free cat that was on somebody's porch in a basket, typical, you know, here, have a free kitten kind of thing. And she brought me home this fluffy little orange and white male cat and I just fell in love. I I had always been an animal lover. We always had dogs. And then from that day on, I've always had cats too. Um, I just, I love pretty much anything with fur. Um, always have. Uh, my mom used to kind of joke about the only reason she got me potty trained as a kid was because uh, we had puppies at the time. And she would say, if you go sit on the on the potty and, and go tinkle, then I'll give you a puppy. And it worked apparently. So um, yeah, the, I pretty much blame her for <laughs> for my lifelong love of animals. Wonderful. Wow. And so uh, did you go directly out of school and go right into animal welfare? I didn't. I wish I would have. But no, I always thought I wanted to be a police officer. So that was kind of the route I took. And I kind of dabbled in fire service along the way. I was a volunteer firefighter for three years. And then I was a 911 dispatcher for 16 years. Um, I overall worked for a police department for about 24 years in various civilian positions before I came to animal control as the director. And I've only been doing this for about three years. But man, I wish I would have known about this a long time ago because I'd have been here. Really? So why? You know, it's just it's two of my passions, helping people, which I've always really been passionate about, and animals. I mean, what better gig is there really than a municipal animal shelter? I mean, it's tough at times, but honestly, it's the best job I've ever had in my life. So that's fantastic because I think that uh, we... A lot of folks that are in animal welfare are somewhat exhausted. And I mean, you said it's tough at times, but you are this very energetic person sitting here. I can feel the energy oozing through the Zoom line. (laughs) Um, You've got a great big smile on your face. You know, so what what excites you about this job? And maybe share a little bit with our folks, like what does it mean to be the director of animal control in the shelter for Mason, Michigan? Yeah, you know, it's really... It is a tough job. Um, and we don't see, you know, as a municipal animal control, um, Lansing, Michigan is, is our capital and that's in our county. There's a lot of animal neglect, a lot of abuse and a lot of sad cases. And you can really get bogged down in the sadness. You have to keep your finger on the pulse of the good that we're doing. And that's what I love about this job is never is it the same day. There's always something different going on. It can be sad. It can be really happy. 
It can be watching a long-term shelter resident get adopted finally by like the perfect family. It can be animal control officers bringing in an animal that was injured that that you know the the owner is like, oh my god, thank God you have them and they're they're going to be okay. So there's just a, a lot of a lot of great things in this. Being able to offer programs to the community like free vaccination and microchip clinics and low cost spay and neuter, being able to help people continue to have that human animal bond that so many times people get priced out of. If we can be a part of that, that's worth all sorts of things. So there's a million things that I love about this job. So I'm going to jump right in. Tell us a little bit about the uh, the TNR program that you started. Yeah, so we are really excited. This is something we've been working on, working towards, I should say, for a couple of years now. What was keeping us from doing it is we only had one vet and one vet assistant. And with, you know, an annual surgery scale of anywhere from 16 to 1800 spay and neuter surgeries a year, that was one vet and one tech that was doing all that work. There's no way I could have added a TNR program onto their workload um, and expected them to stay. So um, we basically went to the voters in August and said, will you pass a millage to support the hiring of three additional staff members, a vet, a vet assistant, and another officer? And they passed it with, I think, 68% approval. So our residents in Ingham County are amazingly supportive of animal welfare efforts. Every time we go to them and ask for anything, we get it in spades. So we're really blessed. And with that, though, comes a huge responsibility to produce. And I know that. So we really, really quickly found a vet, which is, I I can't believe we found a vet as fast as we did. Um, But she's great and we love her. She's never worked in a shelter, but um, I have no doubt in my mind she will get up to speed very quickly, and she's very passionate about what we're doing. We were then able to hire a new vet assistant who is joining us from Maricopa County, Arizona, where he was a vet assistant for nine years at Maricopa County Animal Control. So he's got all sorts of experience, including with TNR, which was another big thing for us. Um, and we're we're jumping right in. We have started our TNR program. It's not the high-volume targeted TNR that we hope to eventually be able to do. But we're starting, we're working out the kinks, and we're really excited to be able to offer this to the community. We desperately need it. So before this program started, you say we desperately needed it. How did you convince folks that you desperately needed it? Did you have some numbers? Did you do a presentation? What was your sort of status before that? So a lot of it is anecdotal. Um, You know, it's hard to really determine a need when there are so many rescues, humane societies, shelters, how many animals really are there in our community? Do Is there a way to track? There really isn't. So, you know, we used a couple of different formulas to kind of come up with a number of around 50,000 community cats in Ingham County. Um, and then we just kind of talked to our rescue partners and our neighbors. Um, our local humane society has been doing TNR for years. They've been shouldering the brunt of it. And I always felt bad about that. I always felt like, you know, why aren't we doing more as a county Um, But it's important to remember, too, that county animal controls in Michigan were created solely to deal with stray dogs. So there's really nothing on the law that requires them to do things with cats. Now, we're one of the few shelters that will intake cats and we will, you know, and we have for a number of years and we will obviously continue to do that. But there was nothing that was compelling us in the law to do what we're doing. And I said, well, that's kind of stupid. Why don't we just do it anyway? So we are. Um, so yeah, the need is huge. Every cat season or kitten season, everybody starts frantically purchasing every bit of KMR that they can buy. You can't find a nipple in the county. You can't, I mean, you name it. And you know, you've been through this a million times. 
And at some point, I just stopped and I scratched my head and I said, why are we continuing to focus on that? Why aren't we putting the bulk of our efforts and resources into fixing the problem, actually solving the overpopulation issue? And that's a hard thing for people to wrap their head around at times. And, and I'm not saying we're not taking cats or kittens because we are. But we also recognize the fact that this isn't the best place for cats and kittens. It's a shelter. It's not a home. And not all cats want to live in a home and not all cats should live in a home. Um, if they're feral, if they're happy and healthy being a community cat, I just want to make sure that they are not making more cats. And then I'm going to let them go do what they want to do and be happy. I'm not going to keep them here and euthanize them. Um, I hated the fact that we were euthanizing other than perfectly healthy animals, other than the fact that they didn't want to be here and they were fractious and they were dangerous and they weren't adoptable. So we quit that practice. So now if we get a cat in, um, we'll try to figure out, is it adoptable? Obviously, we scan it for microchips and, you know, do everything we need to do. But if it's not adoptable, we're going to spay or neuter it. We're going to ear tip it, microchip it, vaccinate it and send it back. And then we've worked with community and said, hey, if you see a cat and it's injured or it's sick, even if it is a community cat and you can trap it, bring it on in. We'll give it a shot at convenient to get rid of the upper respiratory infection. We'll do whatever we need to do to, to make it happy and then we'll send it back. Um, so I think there's it's a change in perspective. It's a change in what we've always done. But to me, it's an exercise in futility to continue the way we were always sheltering before. We're not fixing the problem. Right, right. Oh, agree with you 100% on that one. With your TNR program, are you working with organizations, smaller nonprofits, and they're going to be bringing trapping and bringing the cats in? Or are the officers going to be trapping the cats? Is it or is it a hybrid? It's going to be a hybrid. Um, so right now we've got a little bit of all of it going on. We've got some um, some people in our community that are avid cat people and, and experienced trappers. We're working with them. Um, some cases we're having people call and say, yes, you know, I'm elderly. I can't do the trapping, but I have a lot of cats. My officers will go out and set the traps. We're also recruiting our feline army of volunteers. Um, we have partnered with GiveThem10.org and the Scooter the Neutered Cat campaign. Um, so Scooter will be our spokes cat for our TNR program. Uh, we'll roll him out sometime in the summer of 2023, um, just as a way to bring awareness to the need uh, and the importance of spaying and neutering. And what is a community cat? What does the ear tip mean? Because still a lot of people just don't really understand what that is. So we have an educational component that we're really trying to take on. And my kind of theory on this, too, is we've all created this problem by letting cats live outside and reproduce freely. So we all need to have a part in fixing the problem. Yeah. And I mean, it. you've got this incredible opportunity by being able to be fully staffed. And I would love to know your secret sauce on how you got another veterinarian and another veterinary assistant. I think not only me, but I think there's thousands of other people out there across the country who want to know you're like recruiting secret sauce to be able to bring more folks in. I mean, because if you're increasing the access to care for your community cats, for cats in general, um, you know, I mean, access to care is so huge. And, and spay neuter is the onboarding platform that gets you into that whole access to care conversation, I feel. Yeah. Uh, so it's and it just reduces the cat overpopulation, kitten overpopulation problem. If you want to reduce the kittens in the summertime, it is it's all about spay neuter game, you know, in the spring that we all want to want to be part of, I guess I would say. Um, yeah. So you are you are just right on target with regards to that 
and, and I mean, it is more than just the TNR. I don't know uh, about the availability for affordable spay neuter services or spay neuter services for owned cats, but that's also a critical component um, of the package of factors that need to be at play in order to be able to reduce the uh, cat population in your community. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And, you know, with the pandemic, it's really highlighted vets are completely overwhelmed right now. Um, there's a national vet shortage and more people own animals now than ever. And people are struggling to find veterinary care and affordable veterinary care. And then in turn, we are seeing a lot more cases of benign neglect. And, th- and those are the really hard ones. I mean, is it neglect? Yeah. Is it intentional? Maybe not. Um, and do I really want to clog up an overly clogged court system already with what is benign neglect? If we can help these people get the care in an affordable way, then the animal can stay with them. The animal's better off. The people are better off. And the court system isn't getting clogged up. And we're not charging people unnecessarily with criminal offenses. So it's really a delicate balance. Yeah. And as far as, you know, the staffing stuff, honestly, it's all about your capacity for care. And I know managed intake um, has a bit of a bad rep with some people, but honestly, I don't see how you could do it without managing your intake. Um, not managing your intake is irresponsible, not only to your community and the animals, but your staff. Um, and that's my job as the director to make sure that I'm hiring good people and I'm retaining those people and, you know, giving them enough training, support. Um, not overworking them to death every single day. You're going to have periods of time where that's just what it is. But um, that that's the secret sauce, so to speak. Um, and Ingham County, fortunately, um, pays our staff pretty well compared to a lot of places. So that really helps as well. One thing that I've had a couple of conversations about with regards to managed intake, um, I, I'm a firm believer in proactive managed intake. So I'm going to add more lingo words to the lingo words we already have. But There are things that we know happen annually all the time, seasonal things, depending on where your shelter is. I mean, I always knew the end of August, I was going to get a lot of phone calls from a certain area. It was a beach town. People were moving out of their beach rentals. We were going to get a lot of requests for surrenders at that point in time for cats. And like, obviously, we all know we're going to have a kitten season in the northern states. We have our kitten season coming up in November. We had a lot of people complaining about... um, trying to get their cats neutered because they want to bring the cats in from the, when it was getting cold out, they want to bring them in. So our neuter requests were way up um, mm-hmm. at that point. So there were there's certain predictive things that happen on an annual basis that we always know about. And you can probably plan on one or two hoarding situations a year too. When you're hoping yeah. that they don't happen in July or August, you'd like them to happen in February or March instead, or January and February. Those are your ideal times. So they, there are all these things. So I would try and put public service announcements out almost. Like, you know, are you thinking that you're going to have some housing insecurity? Like, reach out to us ahead of time so we can help partner with you before it becomes a 24-hour emergency rather than... And that's what managed intake is all about, is starting that conversation early and keeping the conversation going afterwards. It's being part of the community. It's this inclusion thing where I think it... I think people think of it as more of a reactive, like the door is closed. We can't do this for you right now. It's not, it's, it's a, it's a soft wall. It's not a brick wall. And I think that's where people kind of get off base on it. Now you've talked about a couple of things that you've done at your shelter to help reduce significantly your, your length of stay. So maybe share some of those tips and tricks that you might have. Yeah, absolutely. So um, our average length of stay is just under five days for dogs and cats, which 
is incredible. I still, and it's not me at all. It's totally my staff. Um, these guys are just rocking it. But we, um, in April 2020, we switched to Fear Free. So we became a Fear Free shelter. Um, and with that, a lot of things came into place that I think significantly not only reduced the fear, anxiety, stress, and frustration of the animals, but made them way more adaptable. And word got out. Our shelter is clean. It's organized. Our staff is friendly and professional and highly trained. Our animals are healthy. They're well-adjusted for the most part. Cat scratchers in every kennel, a stool with a blanket over it that the cats can hide if they're not feeling social. Because we all know they're cats and they're not always social. The dogs are like, hey, take me for a walk. And the cats are like, I'm taking a nap. Leave me alone. Um, so, you know, giving them that that time, um, you know, daily playgroups for dogs, scent enrichment, daily enrichment. You know, we have an enrichment behavior coordinator who that's all she does is deal with stuff in between the ears. The mental happiness and, and well-adjusted part of the animals. That's been big. Foster to adopt. Um, with one vet, we were getting backed up with surgery. So instead of making the animals wait here in the kennels, somebody's interested in adopting them, send them home. That's fine. Bring them back. We'll spay and neuter. We haven't had any trouble. I think I've had to go out and pick up one dog from somebody that wouldn't bring it back. Fine. Not a problem. We just went and got the dog. We play, you know, I call music. Dogs love reggae. Um, <laughs> we do lots of different things here. We have a, a really robust volunteer group that comes in and does all the icky stuff like dishes and laundry and they're happy to do it bless their hearts because then that frees up my care staff to do more enrichment with the animals which makes them happier dogs get out of the kennels every day at least once mostly twice a day so lots of different things um that are making a big difference and we're getting a, a reputation in the area as being a, a kind of a destination adoption location we got people coming up from out of state ohio indiana illinois and it's not even really for a special dog like, you know, you'd see or a cat, it's like a pit bull, which is about 80% of what we have are bully breeds. Um, but people will drive from really far away just to adopt a bully breed from us, which I, I don't understand, but I like it. Um, so yeah, we, we've got lots of stuff going on that I think is making us really successful and um, really proud of it. Do you need expert help taming feral kittens for adoption? Watch the Taming Feral Kittens and Cats full-length workshop video now available for free on the Urban Cat League YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com and search Urban Cat League to see all of their videos to benefit community cats. Do you want to make things easier on yourself and the others in your organization? Our friends at Dubert have teamed up with the Dallas Pets Alive and Spay-Neuter Network teams, and together they have created the Companion Case Management Module. It allows you to be more proactive with all your organization's needs. Create cases for your clients and organize them by type. Whether it is a rehoming situation, a pet parent needing food or medical assistance, or simply spay and neuter inquiries, CCM can help you manage all of them right from the Dubert system. Plus, a huge bonus, it allows you to connect with those clients right from the case so there is no need to open up new windows for emails or pull out your phone for text messages. Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. Just from a comparison standpoint, 
Tell me what it was like before these changes were made and over what length of time did you make all these changes? So all of these changes have taken place over the last three years. It was your typical municipal animal shelter before. Now, we were lucky that we had a new building built in summer of 2019. Um, so when I got here, the building was only six months old. So that that was a game changer in and of itself, having a brand new facility. Clean, neat, airy, light, not stinky. You know, all the things that you kind of think of as a municipal shelter, this is not. And we increased our staff. Um, I very quickly realized that our capacity for care, I only had five full-time animal care staff. That wasn't enough for our population. So I increased that number by two. I recognized the need that we, we needed somebody to do enrichment and behavior. And so I hired a full-time enrichment behavior coordinator. You know, different things coming in and taking a look at the organizational structure. That's my background is in organization and organizational development. And so I very quickly realized, yeah, what we're doing is just not working. We had people in positions of middle management, but nobody had empowered them to actually do their jobs. Um, so that was easy. I just empowered them and said, go forward and, and tell me what you need to, to succeed and let's get it done. I'm kind of um, a friend of mine calls me jazz hands because I'm kind of a Woo, let's get it done, you know, and and that's just but that's how we get things done and brought in a, uh, a deputy director who I've known for a long time who is excellent at policies and procedures and and management and organizational development and leadership. And uh, honestly, it's my staff that does the job. These guys are phenomenal because I let them do their job. Um, I'm a big one on leadership philosophies, and I think that's one thing that I'm noticing the most is missing in animal welfare is leadership development for directors, CEOs, presidents. I noticed it um, really very quickly in that just because someone was very good at fill in the blank, whatever job they were having in animal welfare, they were elevated to a position of running an organization, but they weren't prepared. Nobody prepared them for it. It's not their fault. It just is what it was. And I think we see that in a lot of professions. But um, coming from law enforcement, where there is a lot of supervisor development training, a lot of leadership um, training, there really is a huge lack of that in animal welfare. So I've been a big proponent of that from day one. And what I'm doing is working. Um, it's not always perfect, but um, what we've done has really made a big difference here. So, I'm glad you kind of turned the conversation that way. I know you're in municipal. Well, two questions I'm going to ask you. One is lots of growth there. You, you new building, growth in staff, growth in budget. It sounds like. Do you have a nonprofit? I know there are some municipal organizations have like a side, like friends of nonprofit that does fundraising, or is this all publicly funded? So our budget is just under $3 million a year, and we are roughly 50% as general fund and 50% as millage funded. We do have a nonprofit that's attached to the shelters called the Ingham County Animal Shelter Fund. They are a 501c3 and they do raise money, um, but it is completely separate from us. And then I will petition them for things that pop up. And they are incredibly generous and very beneficial to us. They basically um, paid for all of our surgical suite. So we have digital imaging and new x-ray tables and new, 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 new everything. And they paid for all of it. Um, so that didn't have to come out of general fund, which has been really great being able to just have that resource saying, hey, I need a new otoscope or I need a whatever. And they just paid for it. It's amazing. It's fantastic. So it's, you've got a, a bit of a combination there, but probably a lot of public funding. Um, yeah. And as you said in the beginning, you said that your community is incredibly supportive of the animals, which they really are really wonderful and refreshing to hear. 
leadership. I'm going to talk about leadership a little bit. Now, you aren't working for a nonprofit, but yet you are held accountable to a higher group of party of people. Like in the nonprofit space, you have your board of directors and your board of directors can turn over. So you're working for different bosses over the years. Well, in politics, politicians turn over, commissioners turn over. So as as a leader, um, you know, how do you recommend working with that kind of environment going on where you've got this uncertainty up above? Yeah, so we we experience that in the municipal world as well. Um, board of commissioners turn over frequently. I report directly to the board of commissioners, um, but my day-to-day operational um, over, overview is through the controller's office, which is an appointed position. Um, you know, honestly, you just come in and you do your job. Um, you, you find out what their expectations are. And if their expectations need to be amended, give it some time. Um, because a lot of times, you know, people, people that are elected or appointed to boards, they don't know a lot about animal control or animal welfare. And it's our job to educate them on what we need. Um, and that can definitely be done in a respectful and, and, you know, conducive way to open, um, open exchange. But I think basically it's having integrity and making sure that you're doing your job, you're held accountable, you hold your people accountable, you're fair, you're equitable, um, and and people want to work for you, and you get things done. And and I, and I will not, I won't uh, underestimate the amount of support that the border commissioners and the controller's office has given me as well. Um, they recognized the fact that there needed to be a lot of changes here, and they gave me free reign to make the changes. And that has been really big because I wouldn't have been able to get what we did here done without that support. And I realize that not all directors and CEOs, presidents of nonprofits, have that kind of support. And so that can make it definitely challenging, but um, I just always say, have some integrity and do the right thing and the rest of it falls into place. Heidi, if you had a magic wand, what would you do to make life perfect for community cats in Michigan? You know, it's funny that you asked this because I was just talking to my wife on a road trip and I said, if I won the lotto, what I would do is I would open up regional spay and neuter clinics all across the state of Michigan for free. I don't care if you own the animal, if you make a million dollars, I don't care. They're free because we have to solve this problem of overpopulation. Shelters are drowning. We are all drowning and it's not looking like it's going to get any better. We have to fix the problem unintended. Um, So, yeah, that's what I would do. I would fund um, regional spay and neuter clinics. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, I recommend folks check out United Spay Alliance. Uh, It's an organization that has been reinvigorated because we are going back to basics and we're going to have to, you know, create different types of spay neuter models out there because of the resource desert that we have going on. So if we can only do something once a month in a rural area, we do that. We, if can only get once a month in an urban area. We take that. We take what we can get and we make it the best that we can. But we always just continue to to grow and expand and try and be as efficient and effective as possible with the staff. So your veterinary staff, you're not going to have them making, you know, dog blankets. You know, they're they are going to be doing their job every minute of the day. They're going to be focused. They're going to be used efficiently and effectively. And then the support staff is going to be dependent on tremendously. I mean, I think veterinary technicians are so important to this whole thing right now because they are the ones that are going to be doing 
a lot of the work, everything except for what they can't do. Um, yep. That's what we're going to depend on them for sure. And the veterinarians have to be willing to give up some of the things they might have been doing before because it's so critical that they're doing the job that, that they're there to do. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And I think it's a, it's really important for us in animal welfare to make sure that we are reaching out to the veterinarians in our community as well and explaining the challenges that we're facing because a lot of times they don't know. They really don't. And it's not that they want to be ignorant. It's just they're running their own businesses, you know, and rightfully so. But if we're coming to them saying, God, we are overflowing. We really need help. Would you be willing to do low-cost spay and neuter at your place? You know, this is what we have set up here at Ingham County is we have a voucher program. Um, residents have to show a need, but then we work with four different clinics in our county and we're able to, I think we're up to almost 50 spay and neuter vouchers a month that we can sell. Um, which isn't enough, but it's something. Um, so never underestimate um, a butterfly's wings. The the amount of change that you can make with even just starting at five or ten spay and neuters, it's huge. Um, do the math. It it adds up pretty quick. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And building those relationships will help everybody understand what's going on in the whole environment. And Absolutely. Really, really important. Um, I used to work with 14 private veterinarians before we started our Catmobile or mobile spay neuter clinic. And, you know, I would be like, well, do you know that Joe's doing this over here to Sally, the vet over here? And they were like, no, I didn't know Joe was doing that. And a lot of it was me trying to convince everybody to do early age spay neuter. Yeah. So I'd be like, Joe's doing them at, you know, three weeks or I mean, three months. And, you know, and Sally's like, really? And I'm like, how about we give you five month or and like next time? How about 16 weeks? You know, like yep. we just work them down. And they're like, oh, this is so easy. And it's just like, it, it is easy to, yeah. to spay a little little kitten. It's much easier than a five-year-old, you know, female cat that's had three litters. Right. Or, or more over time. It's a much yeah. easier procedure. So, um, so we become the, actually the conduit sort of yeah. in the community about all the veterinary stuff going on. So it's really yeah. great. Um, Heidi, if folks are interested in finding out more about your organization, how would they do that? So you can actually go to snipandclip.org. It's a, a new shortcut to our website that we just created for all things cats. Um, and that'll take you to our community cat page. But otherwise, you can visit ac.ingram.org. And we have all information about our um, our programs. I am always happy to talk to someone and help them consult through problems. If people need a copy of a policy that we have, I'll be happy to share it. You want to send your staff up to, you know, whatever. I, we're happy to help. Um, we all need to help each other more. Um, we are facing a pandemic in this country of uh, too many animals and shelters and rescues. We all need to band together and work closer as a tight-knit group. That's the only way we're going to make real change. So whatever anybody needs, call me. I'm happy to help. Excellent. Any last thoughts? Anything else you want to share? No, I'm just happy to be here. Thanks for the talk. It's been really great. And uh, I wish everybody luck out there. Excellent. Heidi, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show, and I hope we'll have you on again in the future. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.